Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. In this episode, I welcome coach and counselor Nico Barraza, and some of you might recognize him from his podcast, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. It's a podcast I've actually been on three times now because we always have a great conversation, and on Instagram, you can find him at, at that Barraza boy. So, you know, this was a really interesting conversation, and I knew it would be. He has a course on grieving and loss because of his own experiences with grief and loss and his fascination with death and also his fascination with the self. And what followed was a conversation about death and our relationship to death and how that really dictates how we live our lives and how to deal with grief and loss. So this is for all of you who are grieving. And actually what I would argue is that we're all grieving something. I mean, we are in a cycle of life. And in the cycle of life, there is death and rebirth happening all the time. It's happening within our own selves, right? Our egos. (laughs) And it's happening when we experience the loss or the death of a loved one. We experience that through breakups. We experience that through experiencing new things where we feel like we've been reborn or someone's actually born or when the seasons change. So this idea of the cycle of life and birth and death is really what we talk about. And we're all grieving something. And how we carry that grief and how we become aware of that grief and learn how to learn how to carry it as opposed to allowing it to completely consume us. This is the topic that Nico and I tackle. And I do believe there will be a part two of this because there's a lot, there's so much more to be said about this. It's obviously a very, very deep topic. But I think that you will find this incredibly interesting and it will definitely inspire you to think differently about your own relationship with life and death. And I hope that you check out his course because learning how to navigate life is learning how to carry grief in such a way that it doesn't swallow us alive. Someone who is no stranger to grief, I know what it's like to be constantly navigating the waters of grief and how it lives inside and how I don't want it to completely consume me. So he offers some really, really valuable insight And I hope you enjoy. Nico Barraza. How are you, friend? I'm really well. I've gotten the honor of being able to talk to you twice within seven days, which I feel like is incredible. I know. It's kind of amazing. I get to talk to Jillian Tarecki a lot now. I know. A lot. Exactly. Well, I am so happy to have you on the podcast on Jillian on Love. And I think we always have really interesting conversations. And I'm happy to have you here because I wanted to learn and have 
our listeners learn a little bit more about you. And I'm really curious how you got into this. Cause I know a little bit about you. I know that you have a background that you're an athlete yeah. and I know that you have a background that has nothing to do with what you do now, but how did you make the transition from athlete to this? And, yeah. you know, if you can share a little bit about your story with that, cause it's an interesting one. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you again for having me on, Jillian. And I'll try to make this as succinct as possible because like most people's life stories, <laughs> you know, they're intertwined with so much, but there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. So I was born in Tucson, Arizona in the Southwest Barrios, uh, primarily like lower middle-class neighborhood to a single mom. My dad was really never in my life. My mom is Hispanic um, and native. And so her and my two grandparents, my nana and my thought, kind of raised me, right? And I come from a very like sports oriented family. All my uncles played sports. My mom was an athlete. Um, so really when I grew up, it was really like very much sports focused. You're like school was important too, but I was involved in like everything. Like I wanted to be in chess club. I wanted to like play every sport ever from like baseball to hockey, to basketball, all these things. And obviously I excelled at that. I was always a taller, faster kid. My dad's a tall guy. My mom's like medium height for women, but I was an athlete drawn to that. And so I was pretty much an athlete my entire life. I never really identified as being like into school, I would say, but I was always a curious kid, like a lot of kids are, you know, and I think one of the beautiful things my family did is that they really encouraged me to ask questions. I was raised Catholic, but not in a sort of dogmatic sense. It was always really encouraged to ask questions about things I was reading, questions about things I was taught. So I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through sixth grade. And as I like to say, I got kicked out in sixth grade, started asking too many questions and nuns weren't really happy with it. My mom was like, okay, this kid needs to go to public school. So I went to public <laughs> school um, and that kind of changed my life, honestly, because it was the first time where I was exposed to, you know, not, not the Catholic school wasn't diverse. It was, it's just way more diverse being in inner city Tucson, you know, as you know, right. Being in New York, one of the most diverse places in the U S. So there's so many more things you're exposed to, right? Not everyone's the same religion. Not everyone wears the same uniform every day. And that changed a lot. I think for me, it opened my mind a lot. And, and I was also a coming to age thing when you're like 13 to 15, like trying to define who you are, like how you exist as an adult. And I went through a lot of interesting experiences as a kid, just like everyone else, from gang violence to learning how to play music and being a musician and an athlete and an artist and all these other things. And I guess to start the question off, it's like I've always been really interested in how we behave and think as human beings. I remember my mom telling me that I was always a really observant, quiet kid. And I was. I was just like really quiet and observant. I really didn't find my voice till about I was maybe like 16, 17, because I would talk but really I was more about listening, studying people. And my whole life, I was sort of destined to be this collegiate or pro baseball player. I was being recruited when I was really young. I was one of like the top recruited baseball players in the state of Arizona when I was like 12, 13 years old. And yeah. something changed when I was 17. I had some incredible science and an English teacher in high school that got me into poetry, got me into like research science. For the first time in my life, I viewed myself is I had more to offer than just hitting a ball with a stick and not to demean the sport that I loved so much. But I was like, wow, I actually could do other things with my life. I have other value outside of this. Hmm. And then I went to college. I played volleyball and baseball in college. I had all the college experience. I went to school here in San Diego, at San Diego State. And I, uh, it just is interesting because when people ask like, how did I get here? Well, there was a culmination of so many things of like getting my heart broken when I was 23, experiencing my first loss, experiencing my first death in my family. My grandfather passed away when I was 22. As you know, like the first time you lose someone that's that close to you, the first time you actually have to grieve and you don't have someone physically there, it changes you in a lot of ways. 
Well, yeah, actually, this is something that I wanted to ask you about, which is that you have a whole course on grief and grieving and loss. Yeah. And I also know that you went through a terrible accident. So I want to hear more, but since you brought that up, yeah. obviously you're familiar with grieving and loss and you have some sort of relationship with the experience of grief and loss. Is that what inspired you to create a course about it? Absolutely. I think just my mind, I'm very interested in how we process death and loss in our culture and society, not just in the West, but in the East all over, right? I think some cultures do it in a, like what seems a very healthy way where it's spoken about their rituals around loss, their rituals around grieving. But for all intents and purposes, it seems like in Western society, we kind of avoid talking about it. We kind of avoid the discussions about how to grieve. How does it feel? Like what does loss actually embody? Like what do we actually lose when we lose a physical being? Do we lose all the emotional? Like do we lose all the mental around it too, the experience? And so, yeah, I mean, I just launched this course recently, like a couple of days ago, and it's in the pre-sale now. So thank you for mentioning that. But grief and loss by far have been, my loss and grief experience has by far been what's propelled me the most to do what I'm doing today. And it's because of these huge changes, huge shifts in my life and me having to relearn who I am and how I'm going to move forward without you know, grieving a relationship or grieving the loss of my grandfather, right? These things have propelled me to, I guess, feel deeper, be more open and understand the fragility of life, that I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, right? I'm not guaranteed another experience with someone I love. And so in essence, it's made me be more present in a way. It's made me be more mindful of my day-to-day moments. And I'm not always, I lose track just like everyone else. I get addicted to my phone. I have the same ticks and constants like everyone else does. But I really do try to use death as a reminder of my life and the meaning behind it. I think that really helps me where I used to avoid even thinking about it. Cause it's like, oh, when you're young, you just, you never think about dying. Mm-hmm. But one of the first exercises in, in the course that I'm gonna be putting on is actually to think about taking your last breath, to put yourself in that moment. What does that feel like? Who's around you? What is the sensation you're physically feeling? What are you thinking about? Well, well, first of all, <laughs> I have chills because that's gonna be very, Well, it's going to be very profound, but it's also going to be very confronting for people because no one really wants to think about that. I'm curious, so the culture of your family and how you were raised, has that influenced your interest in death and humanities? Every culture has a different relationship with death. I mean, some cultures celebrate it. Yeah, that's a great question. And no one's ever asked me that. And, and the answer is actually yes. Primarily my family's Mexican. Dia de los Muertos, which is a, you know, a, a very famous holiday now, even in the US. It's hugely celebrated in Tucson where I was born, where there's almost hundreds of thousands of people who paint their faces. You know, if you've seen those beautiful photos of people painted like a skeleton mm-hmm. and they wear these really colorful dresses and suits and they play music and they march together, right? And they actually celebrate death. They celebrate the passing of a physical body. It's also called the All Souls Procession, which if you know me, mm. I'm obsessed with the idea of soul. That's why I name my podcast, oh, yeah. right? Star of the Ego, Feed the Soul. Yeah. And because I do believe that you're a soul, I'm a soul. We're talking to each other right now and these bodies are merely temporary. And so yes, my grandparents, my mom and their belief system and even Catholicism in a sense, you know, for as much oppression as there is in that religion, in Hispanic culture, when you go to a, for instance, a burial ground or a mortuary in Mexico, it's like there's so much color 
it's like it's this like a beautiful mm-hmm. like beautiful place to be like you want to stay there and you want to celebrate life whereas you come in the US and it's like these nicely manicured lawns there's these headstones it's just a lot different in feeling and mm-hmm. i think that did influence my outlook on death and also getting older and reading more things about buddhism taoism and death in those faith cultures and just really trying to make sense of what spirituality and spirit means to me and what passing on means to me and trying to make sense of that in a way that's not dogmatic. I mean, like, I don't have all the answers, but there are some things that I feel and some things that I can tap into in a higher state of knowing just based on how I've processed grief and loss and how it's attributed to who I am today. Okay, so I want to continue on this tangent, but who would have thought that we would be talking about death, but it's so important. I find that people in general either live their lives fearing death or live their lives motivated by the understanding that they will die one day. And I think that in general, this is not everyone, but people who are basically motivated by death, meaning they live their lives to the fullest because they know another day is not guaranteed, as opposed to those who are fearing death or fearing dying so much that they don't live their lives to the fullest. And it's interesting because it's almost like you can divide people into those two categories. I mean, I know we're so much more complex than that, but I do know that I have personally have had a habit of living my life fearing death. And I actually believe in consciousness, you know, moving on. I can't really put words to it, but for whatever reason, (laughs) I don't believe that once you're dead, you're dead kind of thing, which is Mm -hmm. actually how I was raised to believe. I grew up in a Jewish family, but basically atheists, you know? So like New York Jews by culture, but like religious wise, like really no real religion. And raised basically in science that once you die, you die. So somehow me and one of my sisters happens to, you know, we believe in like spirits and <laughs> and angels. I don't really refer to angels. It's a, that's sort of foreign to me, but just this idea of like, if I go into a house that seems like weird and haunted, I'll want to leave. And, you mm-hmm. know, whereas my other sister will be like, there's no such thing, right. Jillian. I do think that when we can simplify it to a person's quality of life is very proportional to how they relate to death. Either it motivates them or they're fearing it. Mm. Would you say in your personal experience as well as your experience in working with others and coaching others that that's true, number one, and that number two, the people who are motivated by death versus fearing death have a better quality of life? Yeah, it's it's a deep question, right? And I think that primarily, if we think about death and we seek to understand death to our capacity, I love how you bring up like science because my undergrad is in environmental science, my graduate degree is in science, and I've been a scientist my entire life since I was 18. And one of the most interesting things is a lot of scientists that I know well that are brilliant are very spiritual. And I've had conversations with scientists, like, how can you balance the two? And in my conceptualization is that science is limited because it's based on human cognition. And we have to be really honest with ourselves. Like, 
we aren't the sharpest tool in the shadow of the universe. We don't know everything. We're never going to know everything, right? Where there's a limit to our mm-hmm. capacity, but there's a beauty within that limitation, just like there's a beauty within dying. It's a beauty in mortality, right? You will never know everything. You just won't. Congratulations. But the pursuit of understanding is part of the fun, just like relationships are. That's part of this dance that, that we get to dance with until we end. And I do think that, yeah, there's a huge difference between how people exist in this world, meaning right now in present day, if they have an aversion to death versus a welcoming. Now, look, I don't want to confuse people. Well, when you're understanding death and you're still living without the fear of it, it doesn't mean like you're seeking to die, right? It doesn't mean like you're seeking to do something that's going to endanger you. You still analyze risk appropriately. I mean, unless you're like a total adrenaline junkie, which I feel like is a different conversation altogether. I am one of those though. So like, like that, I, that's, well, see, that's where I was kind of going with this. I was yeah. wondering if that was something that, you know, you flirted with a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that my view on death changed even I've always been an adrenaline junkie you know I've always been like attracted to like climbing bouldering like base jumping these things and and kind of like like high octane (sighs) sports you know but it was never because if you've ever watched like Alex Honnold he used to be a teammate of mine when I was a La Sportiva athlete he talks about it's when he free solos El Cap it's not really that he's really thinking about I mean he's done this he's done this thing hundreds of times with a rope it's just like the amount of focus it requires of him it's not so much that he's like flirting with death. But then they also do a scan of his brain and like he does like, like basically doesn't have a mig- an amygdala or whatever. Like it's, or it's totally, he does, but it's totally turned off, which is yeah. like the part that's supposed to register fear. And fair enough. Maybe a lot of climbers like him. Yeah. I mean, maybe a lot of climbers like him have that. Or <laughs> he's people. kind of an alien that way. <laughs> so he does not fear. He's motivated or he just doesn't think yes. about it. But but I also think if you were to ask Alex, he doesn't want to die. Like he loves being alive, you know? Oh, no, no, I, right. I no, of course right. not. And so, but that's of an interesting not. thing, like so to have a limited response in your amygdala, but also not want to die. It's like, okay, there's something going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think like, I respect death, which is different than fearing it, you know? Mm. Like I respect the fact that I will go at some point and I don't know when that is. I probably won't have control over when that is, mm-hmm. right? And this is a heavy, deep conversation because obviously we live in a world where to take one's own life is prominent and it's increasing, right? And I've struggled with that at points in my life. And I think that when I talk about this, I talk about it with great respect to people because uh, first of all, I don't judge anyone for deciding when they feel like they should go. But I feel like if we can talk about death and have these open conversations, people will feel less alone. And loneliness and isolation is the lead cause for someone deciding to leave sooner than they really should. That's true. That's true. Have you ever, have you ever watched someone pass on, die? So I have when I was really little. I've seen older family members, but unfortunately when my grandfather passed, uh, I was in my senior year in university here in San Diego State. I was literally taking a final um, that week. And I remember getting a call and he's like, he's not doing well. And this is actually one of the regrets I had to deal with my whole life talking about grieving is that I decided to stay. I'm like, you know, he would want me to finish this final out and not go back. And he died the day of my final. So I got a call when I was right out of my ecology final. And my mom is like, he's not with us anymore. And I remember like getting kind of emotional. I stepped out and I was just like, man, I should have been there. He was surrounded by all of his family members. And I was like his favorite kid. He was surrounded by all of his family. He had five kids, a lot of his grandkids, the two dogs he loved were sitting next to him as he passed away. And that's how I want to pass away, you know, honestly, with all the people that love me around mm-hmm. me. And he didn't pass away in a hospital. 
And so uh, I wasn't physically there, but I did feel like that way. So I guess to answer your question, I haven't seen a lot of people pass away physically, but I have seen like trauma as far as like gang violence when I was young, you know, I have seen that kind of pass away. But as far as someone going, you know, in a way like my grandfather did, I haven't been in front of that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I watched my mom die and I watched my stepfather die and it's definitely life altering beyond belief. But I think going through the experience of someone you love dying, whether you see them pass or not, it does absolutely change you. And then I know you and I have discussed this before, like people don't really acknowledge or honor the fact that when you go through a painful breakup, that that's a death as well. And we've talked about this when I was on your podcast, it's a death of so many things. And so I wonder like on the topic of grieving, it's almost like grief is something that we have to learn how to carry. It doesn't really ever go away for certain things. And also the cycle of life is death and birth, right? So it's death and rebirth and death and rebirth. And this is taught, I mean, since I studied yoga and yoga philosophy for over 20 years now, there's a lot of discussion around the cycle of life, even the seasons or the cycle of life. I think we are always in a process individually, collectively, seasonally in a cycle of death and rebirth and death yeah. and rebirth. And it's almost like a circle and you never, you know, I remember, I'll never forget. I had an English teacher once say, I was like in fifth grade, the moment you're born, you're dying. Yeah. And I thought that I was like, wow, that sucks. <laughs> I mean, I was like first, my first thought, but then Having someone you love die in your life is is a really big deal and it changes you. And I think what I was saying was that we are constantly in a cycle of death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, as someone who is no stranger to grieving myself, we have to learn how to carry the grief. Mm -hmm. Grief is almost this constant thing, right? There's mm -hmm. so many deaths happening all the time and rebirths happening all the time, evidenced just by our personal lives, evidenced by society, evidenced by the seasons. Mm -hmm. But how do we not make grieving our permanent state of consciousness? Mm, beautiful question. Yeah. Yep. What do you think about that? I think we need to stop focusing on the loss only, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are consistently a glass half empty culture, right? We're consistently focusing on, we're not content. And I think forgiveness and grief are two different sides of the same coin. And I'm going to explain it this way. When we forgive, if something's been done to us, someone hurts us, it's not, I snap my fingers and I forgive. Forgiveness is a continuous process over the rest of your life. Forgiving yourself, because you never, you never lose those memories, right? You have them, you know what you've done, so you know true. what's been done to you. And when someone dies, or even a voluntary death, like a breakup, like a divorce, right? It's a process over time of embracing the loss, but also appreciating that you were able to have that experience. Because if you didn't have that experience, you wouldn't be able to experience death. And so in fact, death has given you a gift. Congratulations, you've had an experience. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that we shouldn't honor, like, you know, when people lose children or someone too soon, I'm not saying that without reverence, but even the experience to be able to experience that loss means that you can find another experience. Like you're saying, it's a continuum. 
And so it's not to brush loss under the rug. No, 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 that's not the point. It's just to balance it with the acceptance and the gratitude of the experience taking place. And so I miss my tata every day. Every time I wake up, I wish I could hear his voice again, but I know that I had it. And I know that he's still with me and all the things that, and how I conduct myself as a man, how I treat others, right? How I uh, treat my family, right? And I fall short, it's both of them. I can miss him, but I can also appreciate the experience and the memories too. And I think that's how we grieve. Yeah, that's beautifully put. And I think it's so true because regardless of what one's spiritual and or religious beliefs are, memory is what we all have. (laughs) And if you don't believe in, you know, the soul or anything like that, the person sort of lives on, if you will, inside our hearts through our memory. That's the beautiful thing about memory. I mean, memory is our our worst and best friend, the thing that keeps us traumatized. And memory is the thing that, interestingly enough, is the key to get out of the trauma state, is to remember the positive stuff and the good stuff. And we are a half-glass-empty society. That's very, very true. One of the experiences that I have had as a result of losing certain things and losing part of myself and losing my parents and whatnot is it has a funny way of forcing you to remember the love. And I've seen this in a lot of people, even people who've had very complicated or just shitty relationships, let's say with parents who died. It's like somehow after they died, they were able to cultivate a better relationship with their parent They were actually able to forgive them once they passed because then they don't have to deal with them. They don't have to be constantly have these boundaries around them. They're not filled with all this resentment and contempt. There's like almost an appreciation that can happen as a result of someone dying. And yeah, I guess it's about redirecting people's focus onto that. So why don't you tell listeners just briefly about this course? Because I think this is so important because every single person is grieving something at all times. Absolutely. And thanks for bringing up the course. I I didn't realize we're going to talk about this so much, but I love it. So uh, (laughs) yeah, I think the powerful thing about anything like this, whether it's an in-person course or online, is the collective nature of how we learn and how we experience loss. And I think that we don't gather trauma in a silo. We need other humans to experience trauma. Therefore, we need other humans to heal everybody. We need to learn from each other. And so I think one of the powerful things about getting people in a group and talking about grief and loss and how we all process grief is to collectively identify as not being, I'm, I'm isolated and having these feelings of hopelessness, of loss, of loneliness, because I can't speak to this person or because this person left me or because I had to go through a divorce, right? And these things happen. And one of the most healing things to me has been to sit in a room with other people and hear just how similar their experience of loss is when they've had their heart broken, when they've done something that has hurt a loved one, when they've lost someone to death. And so this course, it's just a two-part series. It's just taking place on two Sundays. The first part is diving into the definition of how we define 
grief and loss and death in our society? And how does that definition impact our way of living? Like you were saying, people that are just fearful of death, how do they live differently from someone that's always just sort of like tiptoeing all the time? Like, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing like, don't touch the lava, that's kind of like what it is when you're like, you know, I'm scared of death. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if you don't touch the lava, how are you going to, you know what I mean? It's like, it's sort of this like metaphorical wall in your brain that's like blocking you from experiencing the depth of life because you're so scared to take that step, to take that risk, to go get that relationship, to fall in love again, to be hurt again, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying like, that is part of life, ladies and gentlemen, like you will be hurt again, but you will also smile again. I guarantee that will happen if you start walking forward. You know, if you don't move anywhere, you will stay the same. And that's kind of the thing about death. I think death is the ultimate teacher. I really do. And that's why I've become obsessed with our mortality because I understand that I'm not gonna be here long, regardless of what you believe after, because I too believe we're this energy that neither created nor destroyed. It just keeps floating, you know, but I might not be this manifestation of a human. I, I might go into a star. I might go somewhere else. You know, I might go into a mushroom, you know, um, but I respect <laughs> who I am right now. And I got a lot more to learn. I'm sure you can agree to this, Jillian. It's like the more I age and the more I really ask these big questions, the more I realize I don't know. And there's a beauty in that. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I had a yoga teacher once say to me, the more you advance, the more you actually become a beginner again, because you see on the outside, there might be a mastery of a pose and you might even have a moment of mastering a pose, a moment of mastery. But as soon as you get someplace with a posture, you realize, oh my God, I can actually go deeper with this. I can penetrate my nervous system, not just my bones and my muscles. And so it is the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. (laughs) Like the more you advance in anything, whether it's through age or whatever, the more you realize your studentship is never ending. As much as people claim to have these answers, no one knows what happens after death. Yeah, absolutely. You asked me, like, the first part is the defining of it, right? We're discussing it. And the second part, which is the second Sunday, is the integration process. Okay, we've discussed this. Now, how does that actually look in real time? How do we manifest these lessons and these understanding? And how do we balance appreciation and gratitude and grieving and loss? Because you cannot experience happiness without experiencing sorrow because we're not robotic, right? Everyone's like, I just want to be happy. You ask someone, I just want to be happy. What do you want? I want to be happy. And I'm like, do you want to be sad? No. Well, then how are you going to be happy? You have to experience both. And I think that really is at the root of when we talk about depression and anxiety is other things we experience is that it's not so much about not experiencing sadness. It's about not being absorbed by it, not defining yourself as sad. Yes. Because I consider myself a happy person. I still have sad down days where I don't feel motivated, where I still think of negative things. There's days that sometimes I don't want to exist, right? And it's like, that happens. It's a human experience. But I do know that if I get a good night's sleep, if I take care of myself, if I rest a little bit that day, I'll wake up the next day and I'll feel better. And I have to get myself out of bed and go make human connections because that's what we're here to do. I'll have to have you back on the show, Nico, where we can really talk about dealing with sadness and depression in those down days. Because that's, I really feel like that's an entirely different conversation that needs its own episode. So we will definitely, definitely get into that because I could easily go another hour with you right now. And I know we can't. So please tell people where they can find you. 
Yeah, thank you, Jillian, for the plug. I'm humbled to be here and to be able to do this on your show. Uh, y'all can find me at that Barraza Boy, B-A-R-R-A-Z-A. And I'm only on Instagram now. I was on TikTok. I deleted TikTok a couple weeks ago. I just wanted one social media thing. You know, I just <laughs> I really wanted just one. You you understand, right? Because you were off of it for a while. Um, <laughs> and then of course you can find me at www.nicobarraza.com. That's where I work with people one-on-one coaching and counseling, and all my courses are available on there. And reach out, you know, the podcast. Starve the ego, feed the soul. Jillian's been on it three times. She is like the most recurring guest. I mean, people love you, Jillian. Top two episodes. I'm sure the third one's going to be the top three. And I had some brilliant minds on the show, and it just speaks to you know, yes, you have just speaks to you, and and people really want to listen to you. So come check out the podcast. Uh, listen to Jillian's episode. Listen to the other ones, and feel free to reach out. And I all love, the other yeah, ones, yeah, all the other ones, please. Yeah. Well, there's just so much more to cover, Nico, but I'm just very grateful, first of all, for hosting me on the show and for being such a supporter of me and my work. And I love the work that you do. And I know that it's very obvious that it comes from such a genuine personal place and that your drive to help others is very real and very potent. So I appreciate you. And until we meet on this platform again. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Jillian. Thank you very much for having me. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Countshouse, edited in music by Will Tendy. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judai, and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking portrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade! And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.